Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is a great day to speak the truth. And, you know, radio is a great forum to have a a kind of mega voice. And Rush Limbaugh knew this very well and always said that you combat the false and fake news media by simply telling the truth. And, uh, you know, speaking of the opening that says it's such a political prosecution and persecution, well, that's exactly what's happening in the context of so many uh, lawyers who have represented President Trump, including me. So if you have been on Twitter this morning or you have read any of the leftist or opposition media, you have have probably seen all of the headlines that are saying uh, that in the context of resolving the bar complaints um, against me, which were, of course, uh, filed by uh, politically motivated third party uh, entities, that um, resolving those bar complaints, I admitted that I lied. That is their headline. And that is a distortion of the actual stipulation that was reached. So just a few minutes ago on Twitter, um, I released this statement. The politically motivated left failed miserably in their attempt to destroy me. They're now trying to falsely discredit me by saying I admitted I lied. That is false. I would never lie. Lying requires intentionally making a false statement. I never did that, nor did I stipulate to or admit that. As has become sadly typical, the opposition-controlled media is intentionally twisting the truth, conflating the full rule of professional uh, responsibility standard, with the actual stipulation. The standard reads, quote, dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or, that's the key word, or misrepresentation. The Colorado Bar Council and my council concluded that it was best to resolve the bar complaints by agreeing to a public censure. Bar complaints have been filed all over the country by people Trump lawyers have never met, had no client relationship with, and who are totally partisan against Trump. This is and always was political lawfare to intimidate lawyers from representing Trump or Republican candidates, especially in election challenges, and try to destroy our livelihood and our reputation. Organizations filing complaints have been open about this motivation. I'm grateful to have this behind me, thankful to the Colorado OARC, which is the uh, Regulation Council, and the presiding disciplinary judge for treating me fairly in spite of immense political pressure, and to my lawyers who have stood by me and given me wise counsel, and I remain in good standing and fully licensed in the state of Colorado. I'll continue speaking truth to the best of my ability and zealously advocating for due process, having learned I can do so in the media even more carefully, while never backing down to the political opposition mob who would seek to destroy me, my vocation, my mission, and my voice. Not today, not ever. So you all deserve the truth, and uh, that is the truth. So know that, of course, the opposition media is going to try to uh, spin this in the way that best fits their narrative. Um, But the truth here is that for the last two years, um, attorneys who have represented President Trump 
have been uh, intentionally targeted. Um, I spoke with just a few of my colleagues last night in, in the wake of uh, this news uh, coming to bear. And, um, you know, they're still going through a lot. And, and this, is, this is really difficult when you think about the fact that attorneys are supposed to represent uh, clients zealously. Of course, we stay within the margins of the law and the Constitution. Uh, but to have this type of um, bar complaint from a third party, I mean, typically... If you get a bar complaint, it's from a client, and a client or um, a court is saying that there was some sort of um, actual harm that was perpetuated on them. Like, for example, um, if a if an attorney steals client funds or makes a um, a false statement and misleads uh, the judge in order to get a, a more favorable um, opinion from from the bench. I mean, those are obviously things that the rules of responsibility, professional responsibility cover, and they should. Uh, but the professional responsibility and attorney regulation um, entire process should not be yielded to or governed by politically motivated targeting. And that's what this has become. And it's very dangerous because it really undermines the seriousness of the profession. And um, it has, without a doubt, uh, made attorneys all over the country who have, and even those who may be contemplating representing future clients, um, it's really chilled and silenced a lot of their um, their opinions and their effectiveness and their ability to uh, zealously advocate for their clients. And um, every person in this country not only deserves due process, but they deserve a counsel that is willing to fully and zealously represent them. And that's true if your name is Donald Trump. That's true if your name is Hillary Clinton. That's true even if your name is Jeffrey Epstein. We in this country recognize that the right to competent counsel uh, is something that we all get. So, you know, so what are we doing about the fake news media? Um, You know, what's been really, frankly, disappointing to me is to see how fast all of these headlines come out. And yet, where is Where's the so-called conservative media on this? Well, pretty silent. I'm very thankful for you know some really good friends and colleagues who've reached out to me, uh, wanting to um, to help get the truth out there and saying, wait a minute, I read the stipulation, then I read what was in you know Politico, for example, and this doesn't seem to mesh. And so you know they're reading things critically, and I really appreciate that. Um, but you know I think that we all need to take a moment and um, recognize that we can't just trust whatever the mainstream media's narrative is. We have to always go back and think for ourselves, analyze for ourselves the truth, and recognize that a lot of these outlets are coming from a very biased perspective. So um, Russell Brand was actually on um, Bill Maher's show, which which I've been on before, and he took um, MSNBC to task about their bias. And this was such a brilliant takedown. And I want you to listen to this. This is cut three. John, I've not known you long, but mm. I love you already. But I have to say that it's, <laughs> it's disingenuous to claim that the biases that are exhibited on Fox News are any different from the biases exhibited on MSNBC. It's difficult to suggest that's, that's... that these corporations operate as anything other than mouthpieces for their affiliate owners in BlackRock and Vanguard. And, and unless we start to embrace... And, and also, mate, like, just spiritually, if I may use that word in your great country, we have to take responsibility... 
credibility for our own perspective. I, I've been on that MSNBC, yeah. mate. It was right. propagandist nutcrackery yeah. yeah, on you're there. Having, you, I went on a show called Morning Joe. Yeah. It was absurd the way they carried <laughs> Good morning, on. Morning Joe. Yes. Yeah, was, I don't it. know what it was. It wasn't morning. There was no one called Joe there. No one could concentrate. They didn't understand the basic tenets of journalism. No one was willing to stick up for genuine American heroes uh, like Edward Snowden. No one was willing to talk about Julian Assange and what he suffered trying to bring real journalism to the American people. And I think to sit within the castle of MSNBC throwing rocks oh. at Fox News is ludicrous. My friend, Make my MSNBC friend, better. Friend, Make friend, MSNBC friend, great friend, again. My friend, I would love... I would... Making MSNBC great again. I'm not sure that that's ever going to happen, but you know, we on this show can always make uh, American Family Radio Network great because we as Christians will uh, come together and we'll talk about issues of theology, of culture, of uh, of politics, of what's going on in the world, and we'll always approach this with truth and with a biblical perspective. And of course, in that there's there is a bias there. Yes, I'm going to approach things biblically. So when I talking about uh, transgenderism, for example, then of course I'm going to come at that from a biblical perspective. Um, But, you know, we can also have a a disagreement of opinions, but at least we are approaching this from a perspective that we want to be truthful, first and foremost. We want to be factual. We want to be accurate. And we're not, you know, nobody is ever 100% perfect at that. And we all admit our mistakes, but that's the intent. And that's what uh, we should intend, not only here, but also the mainstream media should intend for that. They shouldn't be going out on purpose, trying to target political opposition and getting the the headlines that are clickbait just so that they can advance their narrative. And you know, and I love how how Russell Brand, who um, who is just such a crazy character, how he really takes that on in the context of um, of MSNBC. And so he also used the COVID coverage as an example. And this is a really short clip. Um, I also want to play this, which is cut for. The ludicrous, outrageous criticisms of Joe Rogan around ivermectin, re- deliberately referring to it as a horse no, medicine. Yeah, that, that's what not a Rachel Maddow turning up on the TV no, saying, no, if you take no. this vaccine, you're not going to get it, when it hasn't been clinically trialed to transmission. You have to listen. Wait, Do you think you can improve America by determinately and avowedly condemning Fox News without acknowledging that you're participating in the same game? Right. So where are their public censures? Well, that's the question that I would love to know, because it seems like we have a lot of accountability and I'm fully fine with accountability on our side. I would just like that, of course, to be a two way street and it should never, ever be politically motivated. So we'll be right back and we actually have a treat for you today. Um, I'm going to be simulcasting coming up next with my good friend Chris Salcedo from Newsmax. He hosts a radio show in the same hour. So we are going to connect together and you're just going to get to listen in on our conversation. So we'll be right back with more right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning, always coming from a truthful perspective.
In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where's the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for United States Senator Chuck Schumer. Senator Schumer represents the state of New York and serves as the Senate Majority Leader. He's been a senator since 1999. Philippians 2.3 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Senator Schumer as he represents the people of New York and helps lead our country in the United States. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. These are very odd days at Fox News Channel. Tucker Carlson has managed to anger Democrats and Republicans after he released unedited video of the J6 riot at the U.S. Capitol. Now, videos that clearly present an alternative version of the events of that day, videos that also conflict with the narrative published by the J6 Congressional Committee. But now Carlson's own network is casting doubt on his reporting. Brett Baer openly questioning Carlson's journalism. Bear even broadcast Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's remarks saying Fox News made a mistake. So does Fox News stand with Tucker Carlson or Brett Baer? Who are viewers supposed to believe? I worked at Fox News for 15 years. We had a slogan back then, we report, you decide. I sure do miss those days. Be sure to get a copy of my book, Culture Jihad. It's available at toddstarns.com or your favorite bookstore. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. And welcome back. So uh, we are connecting with Chris Salcedo, who is uh, a good friend at, of course, at Newsmax, has his own radio show. So, uh, Chris, I think we are connected. We are connected. Jenna Ellis, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the Voice of Texas. She's an attorney, nationally syndicated host of Jenna Ellis in the Morning and host of the 
Jenna Ellis Joe on Salem Media. Uh, you know, I was just about ready to tell the folks we joined almost at the same exact time. You were coming out of break. We were coming out of break. So let me just tell my audience that, folks, from what you saw on television, Jenna and I, behind the scenes, have become really good friends over these last few years, uh, warriors in common cause, if you will. So when she, when she brought up this idea of merging the programs, I said, absolutely. So I couldn't wait to get here. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks so much. That's that's uh, totally true, and I have really appreciated our friendship and our offline conversations where, you know, you and I have discussed uh, basically everything that has been in and out of the news, and, um, you know, and it's on days, especially like today, that I always really appreciate uh, good friends, and so, you know, for your audience as well, um, you know, welcome and um, and I'm really glad to merge. And, you know, in my first segment, um, I approached this whole story that, of course, has been trending this morning um, about the uh, my bar license and the fact that I'm still fully licensed in the state of Colorado and appreciate that. But the mainstream media is trying to, you know, of course... Um, discredit me now and uh, and say that, you know, I'm an intentional liar and I went out and lied on behalf of my client, um, which is always what they do, though, Chris. You know, I mean, and this is nothing new. And we I think we need to talk about this instead of just letting this, you know, kind of go out there and receding into the background. Um, you know, you reminded me this morning that Rush Limbaugh always said, you know, you have a, a bully pulpit, you have a, a bullhorn for the truth. And so we need to address things head on. So I have a statement on Twitter. You guys can all go and read that. Um, but I also just, Chris, really appreciate your friendship, um, solidarity, and just, you know, really good advice over the years. Well, well, first off, uh, we all recognize what this is. Anybody who knows how the left wing operates, and that includes the leftists in the what I call the basket of biased press, they they take they they take the worst possible aspects of any story and apply it to, to Republicans or conservatives, and they and they ignore all the malfeasance they can, they allegedly condemn in Republicans or conservatives, and they ignore those very same behaviors among Democrats who actually do the things that they accuse conservatives and Republicans are doing. I, I briefly touched base with, after our conversation before the shows this morning, with my audience. And so we've seen this all play out before. Uh, an accusation uh, against a conservative, while there are, there are massive, massive problems, and we'll, we'll, you and I will start talking about this January 6th video, because I've been eager to, to pick your brain about the legality of withholding this information. But, but what everybody can see who knows the game is the biased press takes the kernel of truth and magnifies it to, to the worst possible uh, scenario for conservatives and Republicans, and they cover for Democrats because they are Democrats, and that's what they do. Jenna, uh, my, I, you, you tell me if I'm reading this correctly. After listening to you this morning and reading your statement, uh, it seems to me that you were a target of a political operation by a bunch of leftists you never met before who happened to be a part of the Colorado bar and basically what you said is you, 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 you failed to draw a line between your opinion and actually what the law said. And that's about that's about it. Right. Yeah. And, and these people who are the leftist um, and never Trumper political operatives, they're not even members of the bar. I mean, this is how uh, absurd these types of uh, political wow. lawfare um, targeting has become. You know, these are people who are from out of state. Um, and I've dealt with, you know, multiple, I mean, I think it's something like around over 30 bar complaints from individuals, but then also who are out of state, but also organizations that have admitted 
on record that their entire reason for filing complaints against me and over a hundred other lawyers for Trump was to destroy our livelihood. And so they're they're on purpose just trying to have political targets. They're third parties. They they had no attorney client relationship with any of us. They had um, you know no direct harm. There was nothing that um, they were impacted by other than. They are the political opposition and they're upset. And so they want to uh, politically target us. And, and, you know, and this is where um, one of the other lawyers was reminding me last night that at least in Washington, D.C., I don't know if this is true for Colorado, but at least in Washington, D.C., historically, the standard policy has been that unless you have that direct relationship, um, attorney-client relationship, they don't take outside third-party complaints. Well, in D.C., why would that make sense? Because they know they're going to be politically motivated. Right, right. And, and that makes that makes so much sense. And you know, what, what really drives me batty is that the left wing now and, and the people that went after you, they're, they're in your face. They don't, we don't want to debate these people anymore because they push back on us. We want to destroy their livelihood. And that's, that's the message they're trying to send. You either comply with communists, socialists, and anti-Americans, or we're going to destroy you, which is the, which is the motivation of every single totalitarian throughout human history. It's why people that went after you are so dangerous. And it's why they deserve, they've earned our opposition, in my Absolutely. opinion. Can Absolutely. Can I ask you a question about the J6 video? Yeah, 100%. And I think it's important we talk about uh, this as well. And I've, I've addressed this, as my listeners know, um, you know, on my show, uh, because I think it's important that we talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So let me. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee up a question to you. And if you think there's anything I can add to it, please feel free to ask a question of me. But... Here's what I've been saying to, to lawmakers and anybody who comes on the Salcedo show on Newsmax or here. I've been saying it is vital now that we find out who gave the order, what person or persons gave the order to suppress 40,000 hours of video, which, in my view, is exculpatory to those who have been charged, those who have been persecuted, prosecuted and maligned using a January 6th narrative over news, narrative over facts. And now that the full version is being told, we, we now have it confirmed we were taken for a ride by dishonest left-wingers. I want to know their name, and I want to know if there's legal liability for them withholding exculpatory evidence. Yeah, and that's a great question. And um, apparently, according to some uh, reports, uh, the defense attorneys for some of the uh, J6 defendants, inclu- including the so-called QAnon shaman, um, Jacob Chansley, I think is um, his last name, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, yep. has said that they didn't see um, a lot of, of this footage. And, you know, and of course, the, the left is coming back and saying, well, we saw the footage of, you know, when uh, people were destroying uh, parts of the Capitol and that, you know, they were coming in and, and breaking in and committing, you know, various sorts of, of illegal conduct. And, you know, that's that is one thing. But the Supreme Court case, Brady versus Maryland, requires that in the context of a criminal prosecution, the government is obligated, it does not have any choice, it's obligated to give over any exculpatory or even potential evidence that even tends to 
exonerate uh, the defendant. And when that doesn't happen, then there are impacts to um, the, the potential conviction. There can be impacts to the plea and there can be sanctions for those lawyers. Now, in this instance, it's interesting because there is a separation of powers argument that um, apparently was actually litigated over this when the defense attorneys couldn't initially see all of the footage. And basically that argument from the DOJ went, well, Congress is a separate branch of government. We can't compel them to turn it over to us. And since we don't have full possession of it, well, sorry, too bad. And, you know, my my response to that is like, okay, wait a minute. So the government... The, the government's still the government. So whether this footage resides with Congress or with the DOJ, I would think that a reasonable judge would say, all right, DOJ, will you go convince Congress to give it to you? Otherwise, you don't have a case. Or an ethical prosecutor would say, well, wait a minute. If we know that potentially exculpatory evidence exists, Congress isn't willing to give it to us. We will at least delay the prosecution until... Amen we can get access to this footage. They don't just recklessly run ahead with this and say, well, sorry, too bad. So I'm very interested to see what potential appeals and challenges are filed on this basis. Yeah, you know what? And, and, and what about, what if it was just me? What if it's Chris Salcedo and I have evidence that a crime was committed or that, that a crime wasn't committed, exculpatory evidence, and I as a citizen sit on that evidence and watch an innocent person go to jail and then it comes out years later that I had this exculpatory evidence. It, just as a citizen, am I am I liable? Uh, well, you know, so there's di- a difference between the government having it versus a citizen. And so, you know, it, this happens all the time in a context of a criminal prosecution where, you know, a witness comes forward later or a witness says, you know, that they were on the stand for the government and they lied. Um, you know, and, and some of those things can give rise to appeals or in some instances in states have what's called a writ of actual innocence. Um, that has which is is basically a filing that says, look, now there is evidence that proves my client was actually innocent and the court can take that up on appeal. But it's a lot harder in that instance. And so, um, you know, so dep- so the, the civil liability is a very different question. But at least in the in the criminal context, here's the thing. Government should never be politically motivated to simply seek a conviction for any reason, whether they don't like the person, political opposition, whatever the motivation. There's actually a higher rule of professional responsibility that governs prosecutors because they are supposed to pursue the interests of justice and whatsoever justice requires. That's what they pursue. And so they should welcome exculpatory evidence. They should welcome the full picture. And so my question for the DOJ is, why didn't they put pressure on Congress and refuse in their discretion to prosecute any of these people until they had the full picture? Because an ethical prosecutor and someone who genuinely pursues the interests of justice would have wanted the full picture. I got you. And you know what? I think that's indicative of the problem we face as a society and our and our relationship as citizen to government is we have come to expect, and instead of having that higher bar for government, government should be doing it better than everybody. Not we, we have accepted our government is full of shysters. Our government is full of people who don't do it better, who are always politically motivated or out there to the American people. And that's the problem. I, I think that, that we have come to accept, oh, they're going to be crooked over there in government instead of demanding, demanding higher performance out of government, which is, I think is, is the issue. You know, I, yeah. I, I've, got, I've got some stats for you. I don't know how much you've gone over with your audience, but 
the, the, the folks over at Newsmax did an evaluation for us on the, the, the criminal prosecutions over there uh, from January, stemming from January 6th. Uh, the crowd size. Do you know the crowd size was, for our purposes, at least 100,000? We believe it was more than 100,000 folks on January 6, 2021 in, in the Capitol that day. So of those people, there have been 910 folks charged with something. So a hundred, over 100,000 and 900, 910 folks. Do you know how many of those folks were violent, so-called violent charges? How many? 500 and, 512. And of those, there was a, a statute, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but, it, but it's called violent entry or uh, something, something along those lines, the name of the statute. And it goes something like this. If you're out with some buddies and one of your buddies kicks in a door and enters into a business illegally or, in this case, the Capitol illegally, that guy's guilty of a violent entry. But if you follow after and you, you've done no violence, you just traipse on in right after him, you're also guilty of violent entry. So it's likely less people who actually committed actual violence is probably less than 512, depending on the charges. But we're talking less than a half a percent, less than a half a percent of those. And that's what the left wing in the press, just like they did to you, the left wing uh, uh, people in government tried to tattoo an entire movement of conservatives and pro-Trumpers. By, by citing those individuals who, yes, did break the law, they broke windows, they illegally trespassed. But that's some stats maybe you didn't have. But yeah, the brain room over at Newsmax did that for us. Which, which is, is fantastic to get those stats to show just how myopically focused the left is on painting everyone who is a conservative, a Republican, a Trump supporter, anybody as, you know, the, these violent terrorists. And it's just simply not true. And of course, you know, you and I, Chris, would never condone or, you know, or say that it was fine for any sort of violence. You know, of course, any illegal activity that can be proven um, by the standard of law in court, you know, of course, people face penalties for those things. But to paint the entire 100,000 people that were there, um, I mean, you know, where is the media saying this was a mostly peaceful protest? Because in that instance, they would <laughs> genuinely be accurate. But yet you have these people that are over on CNN and their cohorts, you know, there's literally their BLM and Antifa are literally destroying cities. Uh, you know, they're their supporters and there's riots in the streets and buildings burned. And yet they're going, you know, this is mostly peaceful protest. I mean, they're, they are on purpose trying to distort reality. But here's my question for you. So we know yeah. this, but yet so many in the conservative movement today in the in the media and even on Twitter and stuff are so hesitant to address this full on like you and I are. There is a there is a hesitancy to say, well, this is too radioactive. This is too political. We can't touch this. And so we're just going to, you know, watch through the side eye, but we don't actually want to confront this head on. Why are we allowing the media to intimidate us into silence? I mean, some people even advise me like, oh, you know, don't say anything. Just, you know, this will die down in, you know, in a week. And I'm going, okay, and let let the mainstream media just call me a liar and me not say anything about that. Why, why are people in this mindset? I think it's uh, conditioning. I think it is a uh, lack of leadership. You've got um, guys like Mitch McConnell, guys like John Cornyn, Republicans who get up every day. And this is and, and th those are just the ones that come to mind. I mean, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, 
Republicans who are supposed to be an opposition party are not. And I think that's I think it's one of the biggest contributions President Trump made to the national discussion is that he revealed to so many just who these people were, the, the game that is being played with our lives by a bunch of people who are not really opposition parties. They're actually in bed with one another. Sometimes, you know, talk to, to Eric Swalwell, literally uh, in, in bed with the enemy. Um, so this, I, I think the hesitancy comes from the conservative movement is we have we have had our our hands smacked so many times by those on our on side cowards uh, by those on our own side. I'll give you an example, which is kind of a departure out of out of this, but it, it'll make sense to you. The, the state of Texas has a senator by the name of John Cornyn. And John Cornyn voted for an omnibus spending bill that had a provision inside that bill that prohibited, prohibited that taxpayer dollars be used for the border security of this of this nation, knowing that Joe Biden's open borders is literally destroying communities in the state of Texas, the, the state that John Cornyn allegedly represents in the United States Senate. So you tell me when John Cornyn trips all over himself, not only there, but also with this the anti-Second Amendment bill, he joined Democrats to shove down our throats. You tell me who John Cornyn's priorities are with. Not really the people of Texas who he's supposed to represent, conservatives or Republicans. His main job is to kiss the rear ends of any Democrat he can find, and that's how he views his job. Hmm. And so that's why so many of us in the conservative movement, we've been left out there to, to, to hang out there to dry by so many Republicans so many times that there's a hesitancy for us to put ourselves on the line. Yeah. You know, that that's such a great articulation of the problem. And so we do, because if we go out there and put ourselves on the line, then we know that we'll probably be out there all alone. And, you know, the the, the only person who was willing to put himself on the line in 2016 and be the tip of the spear was Donald Trump. And that is why the media continues to hate him. And down in Florida, Ron DeSantis is putting himself on the line and he doesn't care. He doesn't even answer a lot of the, the you know, the false and, and stupid attacks. He has a really great team down there, his press secretary and others. But, you know, these two men are standing up and they're actually fighting for this country in real tangible ways that, that just is not allowing the intimidation factor to factor in. And I respect both of them very greatly for that. And I think they that they're fear. they're rising they're rising up this this next uh, you know new spirit of conservatism that uh, will be a lot more bold. Yeah, and if we can take the conversation full circle, Rush Limbaugh always said, they will tell us who they fear. And they, the, the left-wing press and the leftists in this country have been going after mercilessly Ron DeSantis, and they haven't been able to land a glove on the guy because he's so out there in, in front and basically saying, this is what I'm doing, this is conservatism. He has them afraid. And I think it's about time our political enemies and adversaries, their words, Joe Biden called us enemies in the conservative movement simply because we wanted integrity in our elections. Uh, Mm -hmm. He goes after, does Ron DeSantis, our enemies. And that's why they prefer our enemies like John Cornyn and Mitch McConnell to surrender. That's what the left wing prefers. And and we are are already out of time, Chris, but we have to do this again. I've loved it. And we'll be right back with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Continue to listen to Chris as well.
Tragically, many Christians have become better known for judging people rather than loving them. On the next Focus on the Family, a former lesbian professor, completely transformed by Christ, helps us better understand how to meet the needs of others and reach them with God's love. Next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. Sovereignty of God exalts the importance of one person because God uses everybody in His plan. He has no throwaways. Nobody is meaningless in the providence of God, and so you are important. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, Esther, for such a time as this, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Do not fret because of evildoers. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A Texas district court judge vindicated Dr. Peter McCullough, a cardiologist and outspoken Schmovid injection critic, by dismissing a lawsuit filed against him by the Baylor Scott and White health system that formerly employed him. The health system sued Dr. McCullough, dubbed a prominent purveyor of misinformation by his detractors, for allegedly violating a separation agreement and bringing the Baylor Scott and White health name into the media in a negative light due largely to bold criticism of the mRNA injections. They accused Dr. McCullough of causing them reputational harm. Well, Dr. McCullough got the last laugh as the judge threw this frivolous suit out of court. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt, I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and uh, I'm so excited to welcome back our good friend, uh, Frank Pavone, who joined uh, me at CPAC this past weekend. And uh, Frank, thanks so much for uh, for joining on this wonderful Thursday. And, um, you know, you and I ended up not being able to cross paths. I know that we've seen each other a few times at some conferences um, over the last few weeks. But um, tell me, you know, what happened for the pro-life movement at CPAC? Because um, I know Abby Johnson was there. I know that, um, you know, this has been um, of particular particular emphasis for CPAC because previously um, there had been some criticism actually of Matt, Matt Schlapp and CPAC of saying that there wasn't enough of an amplification of the pro-life message. So uh, what did you encounter and what headway was made? 
Well, thanks, Jenna, for having me on again. And uh, it was a great CPAC meeting. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm so fired up by it. And I know that uh, uh, so many others are, too. Last night, we had one of our national election training uh, conferences online, and we were talking all about the lessons and the messages we got from the CPAC conference. And one of those, as you said, is the pro-life message. I think any kind of any kind of criticism that came up in the past was uh, was was really unfounded because uh, Matt and Mercy have always been just not just pro-life, passionately pro-life, and uh, and 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 CPAC has served and continues to serve uh, the pro-life effort. Uh, my friend Abby Johnson, I don't know if you realize that Abby and I go way back. Is one of the stories that. Um, is actually not in her in her book, but I think uh, uh, listeners might find interesting is that when she was still working in the abortion industry, uh, she was watching my pro-life programs on EWTN, the Eternal Word Television Network, and and she and I went to pray outside of her facility one day. And she noticed me out there, and she said to her colleagues, zoom in the camera. I think I know that priest. And then she said to them, you think I could go out and say hello to him? And they said, are you crazy? You can't go out there. Uh, but we have been uh, close ever since she came out of the abortion industry, um, godfather to one of her children. So first of all, connecting with her there and, and her team uh, was was very important, the message of, of healing and reconciling those who have been involved in, in abortion uh, came across clearly. But I wanted to bring out another another dimension of this, because the issue of, of protecting the unborn and of abolishing abortion fits so perfectly into the overall CPAC message, but in a way that I'm afraid, Jenna, that some of our conservative brothers and sisters might not fully see it yet this way. And, and, and I'm referring to, to when we talk about government intrusion, when we talk about tyranny, when we talk about the power of the government to snuff out individual freedom, the question has to be asked, when does freedom begin? Well, if freedom is an inherent human right, then it begins as soon as human life begins. So when we talk about government intrusion, the issue is not intruding into the choice of a woman to have an abortion. The, the issue is the government intruding so much onto someone's life that they can declare that life to be of no value, that mm. they can declare that this is not a person in the first place, that they can actually have a veto power over life and death. And this is what the government has been doing to the unborn. And that's why a, a crusade for freedom, a clarion call for freedom that was issued so well at this CPAC by so many speakers needs to necessarily lead to a commitment to abolish abortion. So well said and such a great um, distinction uh, with what what the government is is doing. And, you know, of course, the left, like so many other things, tries to manipulate the standard, manipulate the narrative and suggest that, you know, a government um, intruding into, you know, the privacy of a woman's choice, because that was, of course, all of the uh, was a Roe versus Wade and its progeny, Planned Parenthood versus Casey and all that set this up as um, a so-called right to privacy. But what's interesting to me about this whole argument and where I think conservatives need to be very clear and pro-life advocates is that when contemplating abortion regulation or just the act of abortion itself, the government has, it comes to the situation where the woman is already pregnant. That is the status quo. 
And so to say that the government is forcing women to be pregnant is ridiculous because the government in no instance that I've ever been aware of has caused a woman who is not pregnant to then become pregnant. Right. That's not it's it's what happens during the pregnancy that the government is responsible to to protect the life of the unborn child as much as the government is responsible to protect the life of the mother and to say that, you know, other people who would wish her harm and and intentionally, you know, try to take away her life, um, that's called murder. And we have statutes that prohibit that. And so I think that's such an excellent way to uh, to articulate this and to bring the pro-life conversation to the fore. Um, but this is also really encouraging, Frank Pavone, because, um, you know, Matt and Mercedes uh, Schlapp are, you know, very sincere Catholics. Um, they have been ardently pro-life. And and I think it's, it's interesting how, you know, again, like so many of us, um, the mainstream media just wants to attack and discredit them. Um, by saying, you know, well, you're not giving this issue or that issue enough airtime. And, you know, I remember, um, I think it was last year after a couple of articles that Matt Schlapp actually said, well, you know, there are a ton of issues that I'm passionate about, but we only have so much time at, at one CPAC. And so we can't have, yeah. you know, a ton of panels and a main stage topic on every single important issue. But I think highlighting, of course, pro-life as a foundational conservative issue is something that they support. And I'm glad to see uh, that there was so much, you know, headway there. So overall, um, what was your impression of the um, the inspiration and the encouragement of people who attended following uh, the Dobbs decision? Well, they are, are ready for the battle. I mean, I think some people are still wrestling, and this came out in the straw poll, uh, wrestling with the question of what's the role of the federal government, because most of the people are answering in the straw poll about where does the responsibility lie for abortion policy, said the states. Now, that's true as far as it goes. Um, but as you know very well, you know, the, the, the court decision was not a transfer from the federal to the states so much as a, a horizontal transfer from the judiciary to the legislatures. In other words, the, the Dobbs, Dobbs said, bring this back to the people and their elected representatives. Well, our elected representatives are at both the state and the federal level and the, and the very local level, too. Now, I think that the people there uh, are ready for battle. Uh, this was a battle cry. It was like, like Steve Bannon said, you know, the storm is not coming. The storm is here. Um, everyone was, was, was issuing a clarion call to just be able to sacrifice ourselves completely for saving our nation. President Trump himself in his speech said, you know, this is the final battle for America. I mean, we've got to, to, to take back the country and that includes taking back the country for pro-life. Um, I I was strongly encouraged. I mean, I did a lot of a lot of interviews on the on the broadcast row there, and every single one uh, that I talked to, they wanted to uh, amplify the pro life message. Every participant that I met uh, wanted to to know what they could do more for pro life. So people are ready for the ready for the struggle, and a struggle it will be because many of the states are trying to uh, are facing battles where the other side is trying to put abortion into their state constitution. So in other words, isn't this interesting from legal point of view, the the fabrication uh, uh, that that the court had said was in our federal constitution of a right to abortion, and they soundly 
threw it out in Dobbs, um, now is raising its ugly head again in the state constitution. The other side wants to put the same fabrication uh, into those constitutions. But the same reasoning that Dobbs used to say, hey, it's not in our history, it's not in our legal tradition, it's not there, those very same arguments apply if they apply to the United States, they apply to, to Michigan, to California, and to Ohio, which is in the latest battleground, is going to be Ohio. Um, but yeah, I found great encouragement from the people, and they're ready to engage this issue. Yeah, which is fantastic. And I think we do need to engage this at all levels. And, you know, we need to have those uh, constitutional amendments on the state level and also the federal level that will protect life rather than uh, protect protect a so-called, you know, right to abortion access, as they say, which is, you know, basically the the right to just intentionally um, end the life of your unborn child at whim, Um, which, you know, this also to me is fascinating that in the United States, we're still arguing and debating this issue when, you know, we are one of, I think, is it only two countries in the world that allow abortion up until literally birth? And even some states are arguing for after that. I mean, this is just one, I mean, you know, in Ireland, of course, um, a few years ago, uh, with their Proposition 8, you know, decided to allow abortion access. But it seems like, you know, we are way far behind the rest of the world and understanding that the government, um, whatever that government system looks like, has an obligation to protect life. Well, yes, we are far behind. We're in the company of China and North Korea. Uh, unfortunately, also Canada. Canada has no law whatsoever on abortion. And so in practice, it's permitted uh, throughout pregnancy. Uh, so we've got some some very, very Bad, bad company, uh, you know, with the, the Chinese and North Koreans. And by the way, that was a big thing in, at CPAC, too, is, is taking down the CCP. Uh, I, I, there was a big booth there of Chinese freedom fighters. And very interesting uh, how they were there trying to promote awareness of how the CCP has infiltrated America. And again, the connection here is very, very strong because China, not only do they have unlimited abortion, they have forced abortion. And, 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 and why? Because as I said with these... Um, freedom fighters, uh, when they interviewed me, I said, look, you know, it's a godless regime. If you have a godless regime, you know, forgetting about God means you also forget about the value of human life. Because if you dismiss God, somebody's got to take his place. And it's going to be some dictator. It's going to be some some ruler. It's going to be some person who thinks that he or she has veto power over life and death. That's why the United States should be ashamed of abortion. That's why uh, it has to be abolished completely. Uh, that's why it is so un-American to, to think that it's okay to have an abortion. Going back to what we were saying before, you know, the distinction in some of these court decisions, it says the freedom to choose to be, whether to bear or beget a child. We have no argument with the freedom to bear or beget a child. Our argument is with the so-called freedom to kill a child. It's not about should I bring a child into the world. It's may I throw a child out of the world. And that's where if we can frame it correctly, we will see that the only American way here is to extend our arms of welcome, just like we do to a million immigrants each year more than any other country. We extend our arms of welcome to the first immigrant who's trying to cross the first border, which is the border of the womb itself. Mm, So well said. And, you know, we do need to, as a country, in in so many things, but especially in pro-life issues, um, return to our identity as uh, being a Judeo-Christian nation and understanding that we follow first principles of 
um, of protecting and preserving life and liberty for all. And that includes the unborn. And, you know, this whole entire um, sexual revolution, and, you know, we only have about uh, four minutes left here, um, Frank Pavone, and I I could talk to you about this topic um, for a long time. Um, But, you know, we, we as a country allowing these kinds of insidious falsities in our paradigm to persist, that gives rise to a lot of other um, tertiary and ancillary uh, perspectives that that just pervade the rest of policy. Because I was reminded of, um, it was a couple of weeks ago, I read a headline that um, Paris Hilton said, you know, of course, the, um, the socialite, uh, you know, in Hollywood or wherever she's living these days. And she said that she has 20 frozen embryos that are boys, mm. which is interesting. You, you can find that out because an embryo doesn't speak and tell you its gender identity. But, <laughs> but she has 20 <laughs> frozen embryos that are boys because she wants a girl. And then later it came out that she had an abortion when she was younger. And I thought to myself, I wonder if she knew that that was a girl, which, you know, so all of these things to commoditize children and say, well, I'm not ready for one or I don't care, you know, whatever the reason and justification, you end the life of your child and then you treat future children um, like a commodity. And, 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 and now she has you know, 20 frozen embryos. I mean, this is the tragic end result of these wrong, untruthful, sinful ideologies. We've got a couple of quick points. First of all, maybe today we can't say a man is a man and a woman is a woman because for 50 years we've been trying to say a baby's not a baby. Uh, it's a break with reality. It's a break with truth. It's a break with biology. And you're going to hit up against a brick wall if you try to do that. It's just fake. Uh, secondly, once you admit that you can discard a child, you, you, you arrogate to yourself the right to start creating children. And, and we see this artificial... Um, uh, uh, um, fertilization. We see these all these different techniques now. Let's create our own children. And then the solution to the whole thing is the insight that a child is a gift. If a child is a gift, if a child is a person equal in dignity to those parents, well, then that child can neither be discarded nor demanded. You don't discard a gift. You don't demand a gift. It's a gift. It's given freely by the one who gives it, in this case, God, with the cooperation of the parents. But you can't, you can't start making yourself the creator of it as if it's a product rather than a person. So, Jenna, these are deep insights, basic insights, important insights, essential to saving America. So well said. And Frank Pavone, I always so appreciate you joining the program and giving us such encouragement on the issues of pro-life and um, to persist in the true American identity, which is that we are obligating our government to preserve and protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all. And we all need to remember that. Continue, everyone, to be truth-tellers. Never back down. Never surrender. Never let the fake news media mob come for you. They're trying to come for me. It's not going to work. I will be here each and every morning speaking truth to the best of my ability right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. See you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.